Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, it is good to see each and every one of you here this morning. We're going to go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing in our series, Counterculture, and quite honestly, this sermon is about as counterculture as you can get. And uh, I think you'll see that as it unfolds this morning. If you have your worship guide, today we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're in verses 16, 17, and 18. And this is all still dealing with discipleship. All right, this is as disciples, if you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, this will simply be a curious message. This is an interesting message that is an option for those people who follow Jesus, and this will probably not rank very high on something that you would ever plan to do. And that's okay because this will not earn you or merit you salvation. Nothing will earn or merit you salvation. It's simply and totally the grace of God that intervenes and changes a heart and changes a life and puts us on a lifelong pathway as a follower of Christ. And then we begin growing in our giving and we begin growing more Christ-like in our praying. And then we see this area that we talk about today and that is fasting. So let's think about our appetites. What's your strongest appetite? I mean, you get out working, you get a hot day, and you start getting hungry. I start getting hungry. Matter of fact, if we start talking about this right now, you're probably going to say, are we almost done? Let's find a place. I'm getting hungry. Appetites drive us. Appetites consume our thinking. They change what exit we're going to get off at. Well, we're going to go here, but my stomach is growling. Let's go ahead and let's exit sooner rather than later because we have an appetite. What are your strongest appetites? We all face the danger of craving good things. Okay, so when we think about fasting, we don't even need to enter into, you know, stay away from wrong things, bad things, wicked things, evil things. There are many good things that can steal us away from the greatest, the glory of God, where we can start putting our focus and our emphasis and our devoting our lives into good gifts and we forget the giver. What am I talking about? Food. We can be so driven and motivated by food that we forget the giver. And the food is set before us and we, like animals, just start devouring it. And then somebody's like, did you pray? Oh, hang on, you know, wait a second. I forgot the giver. Appetites, all types of craving, abilities, things that are good, but they can steal our attention away from what is greatest. How difficult is it for you and for me to say no to self? It's pretty hard. To be able to say no, I want to hit mute on that. <laughs> to be able to hit, to say no to good things, to no to self, to say yes to greater things, is not easy to do. It's hard. 
So let me ask you point blank, what is your view right now, this morning, of self-denial? Denying self. Our spiritual fervor and effectiveness for Christ can be evaluated in our giving, praying, and fasting, but underneath that is what the Lord is concerned. Why are you giving? Why are you praying? Why are you fasting? It's not just that we do that. There, I did that, and I checked the box. I gave, and I prayed, and I, and I fasted, and, and now the Lord should be impressed with me. No. So can I ask us the question? You see the title of the sermon. Does that describe you this morning? Are you hungry for God? Those who have partaken of the gospel that we sang about this morning, they are actually the hungriest. Those who dwell in the presence of the Lord, they're actually the ones who are hungrier for God. They've had their hunger and thirst met in Jesus, and they continue to hunger and thirst because they have drunk from the well that is infinite. They have eaten the bread that is not just here and gone, but the bread of life. What possibly has entered your life this morning that is eating away or stealing or threatening to steal your first love, your greatest love, the love that has been given to you and shown in Christ for your creator. That's what we need to get at. That's what I pray the Holy Spirit will allow us to pause and think and say, where are my priorities? What am I hungry for? Where are my appetites? And do they honor and glorify God? So fasting is a helpful discipline to really show us the pulse of our spiritual life. What drives me? What can I say no to and I can still function can I go without food? Can I go without other good things that are not wrong in and of themselves, but when they become prioritized over the creator, then they're out of place and it becomes idolatry, and then I'm in danger of losing my first love, living for the wrong things. If we were to put the sermon in a sentence, it's this. Say no to self to say yes to God. I need to learn to say no to self so that I can say yes to God. And you can carry that out in so many areas. Well, should we do this? Should we put our kids in this? Should we take this trip? Should we go here? Should we buy this? Should we? Well, can I say no to self to say yes to God? Should we or should we not? Lord, we need wisdom. And that is the whole title of this series, Counterculture. Where are you going to go today? What advertising is saying? Say no to self. Advertising is driven by say yes. I can't afford that here. Don't say no to self. Say yes. That's the world we live in, which is materialistic. Jesus is calling us to a better way. Matthew chapter 6, these three verses, verse 16, and when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Great word there, gloomy. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face 
that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God. Now, an overview of where we're going, we see Jesus give a warning similar to what we've been studying in Matthew 6 already. It's all rooted up there in Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So righteousness practiced through uh, giving, through praying, now through fasting. Jesus gives a warning, and then he gives instruction, and then he gives us a promise. Let's unpack this a little bit this morning. What exactly is biblical fasting? What are we talking about here? Biblical fasting is this. It's a voluntary withdrawing from food and or liquids for spiritual purposes. Just saying no to a meal, saying no to food, bypassing breakfast, lunch, or breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a day, two days, whatever it may be. Fasting can include abstaining from other fleshly appetites for spiritual purposes. But you remember about a month, month and a half ago when Christian McNeely was here and he talked to us about Acts 13 and he said, here's the, here's the issue though. You can, you can say, I'm gonna fast from Facebook and you won't ever die. You can fast from TV, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and you're not gonna die. If you and I fast from food, if we fast from water, if we fast from liquids, at some point, if we keep fasting, we're not going to make it. So there is an element of fasting that there are many distractions that we can isolate what is important. Fasting, beloved, reveals, and this is, uh, John Piper said this, the measure of food's mastery over us. That's what fasting reveals. Are we mastered by anything? Tell it no and see if you are mastered by it. What might get, what gives me is on days when I fast and I'm not drinking coffee and my head starts hurting and it reveals something, caffeine, right? And that drives me to pray, Lord, I need your help. There are examples of fasting in scripture we can look at. We won't go through these exhaustively, but just to mention them in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there, were, there was a supernatural fast, a 40-day fast. Who entered into this? Moses did in Exodus 34, Elijah, 1 Kings 19, and Jesus. All three individuals fasted for 40 days, a supernatural, sustained alive by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and this was all prior to his ministry. So at the outset of his public ministry, Jesus enters into a 40-day fast. And it's an amazing connection that Moses fasted in the Old Testament. And how did his leadership go with the children of Israel? Bad. They all died in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb. And when Jesus fasts and he quotes from Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered. Now here Jesus is picking up from the Old Testament where Moses didn't do a great job. The children of Israel didn't follow. They were given bread from heaven and they complained about it. And Jesus here quotes from there, 
But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Moses was unfaithful and died. Jesus was faithful, died, and rose again. Jesus leads his people to a full salvation deliverance. Moses led them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get them into the promised land. Jesus does not fall short. He delivers in a greater way, a greater salvation than Moses. The children of Israel were commanded to fast in preparation for the Day of Atonement. They still observe this fast today. They fast for 24 hours. This is known as Yom Kippur. This year, uh, faithful Orthodox Jews will fast Wednesday, September 15th at sundown, all the way to 25 hours later after sundown on Thursday. What are they doing? They're still holding this day. They're observing a fast in preparation for the Day of Atonement, and they're still waiting for Messiah to come when Scripture says He came. He has come. You remember in the account in Jonah, Jonah sent to the city of Nineveh preaching. I mean, if, what a, just a horrible message. He just horrible attitude, couldn't stand the people. He's preaching at the enemies, repent or perish. You're all gonna burn, you're gonna die. And they all repent. And he sits on the hillside like, oh Lord, see, I knew you were merciful and gracious and you're gonna save these people. I mean, what an example he is. But listen to what happened after he, after he preached his repentance. Jonah 3, 5, and the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They heard his message. Their hearts were broken. They were convicted. It changed. They lost their appetite. In essence, fasting is my appetite for food is outdone by an appetite for something greater. They were concerned they were going to die and their families were going to die and they were more concerned with God showing mercy than they were with their next meal and so they all fasted. Another occasion, King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles, the entire chapter 20, we're not gonna go through today. He proclaimed a fast. All of these nations joined together. They joined their forces. They have no shot to win this battle. So the king, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He's afraid. I mean, there's your leader. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. We can't win this. This isn't humanly possible. That's our king? He's just being honest. We need to seek the Lord, and he proclaims a fast. And all of the people fast and they pray and they seek the Lord. That's what fasting is. Ultimately at the core, seeking the Lord. And the Lord heard and the Lord responded through the, through the prophet and said, you're not even gonna have to fight this battle, but hey, show up, front row seats, watch and see what the Lord does. And all of the enemy nations that are all set for, we have this, no problem. This is in the bag. This is guaranteed, no problem, we're good. And they all woke up the next morning with Israel. Do you know what their role was, similar to Gideon? Their role was give thanks to the Lord, sing it out. He is good. His love endures forever. And that's all they did was sing. They worshiped. And then they watched all of the enemy nations wake up and come out with swords drawn 
and they all turned against each other and they just self-imploded and self-destructed in front of them while Israel, Judah, was singing, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, his love endures forever. Army, army, army. Sing praise, right? Like, whoa. And they're up there like, I didn't even need my sword. This is amazing. Our God is the God over all times, places, peoples, nations, and he answered our prayer. And then King Jehoshaphat worships. Acknowledge that wasn't our doing. That was the Lord's doing. The Lord met with his people. In Esther, the whole people of God, Israel, they, they were threatened by the wicked plot of Haman. And it looked impossible, right? And there's Esther, and now she's the queen, but the queen can't go into the king's presence without being invited. And what maybe her uncle Mordecai says, you, you've got to go. This plot is unfolding. And who knows, Esther, if you weren't born for such a time as this, if you don't go now, God will raise up salvation from somewhere else. But why would you miss out on this? Be a willing vessel in the hand of the Lord. And this is what Esther sent word back to Mordecai. In Esther 4, verse 16, she says this, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, or night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Do you know what we see in this, this powerful young woman? Surrender. It's not foolish. She just doesn't go walking in. Oh, I'm beautiful. He loves me. This will be easy. She recognizes this, this could be the day I die because he hasn't invited me. And if God doesn't intervene, Haman's plot is going to unfold and all of my people, remember what Mordecai said to her, you think that you're gonna escape his sword when they find out what, who your people are, who your ancestry is? You won't escape in the palace. His anger is white hot and he will not stop until every Jew is dead in this kingdom. Suddenly her appetite's gone. You're not concerned about, so is it gonna be turkey or chicken? When you are facing the impending people showing up and putting your wife and your children to death and you, your greatest concern is, I wonder how my retirement's doing. This is impending doom and the Lord provided and the Lord showed the way and gave Esther great wisdom and she calls a dinner and there's the king and there's Haman and then what was the request, Esther? Come back, let's do this again. And Haman is just filled with, nobody else was chosen but me. I am so amazing. And his whole family, you are amazing. And then he goes in the next morning and he doesn't know the king has a sleepless night. God is working. Hey, bring the whole chronicles. Bring all the archives, the records. That'll put me to sleep. And then they tell the account where Mordecai saved his life by giving word of a plot against the king. And he says, hang on a second. What's been done to honor this Mordecai, the Jew? Uh, nothing. 
Well, that's not right. Hey, who's whistling as they come in the palace? It's Haman. Hey, Haman, I have a question for you. I want to honor somebody who is worthy of honor. Haman's thinking, it's me, of course. Who is worthy more than I am? I'm amazing. Well, you need to put a royal robe on and get the beast and let this uh, individual, by someone noble, go around and proclaim, this is the man who the king wants to honor. That's what you should do. And he says, oh, that is a great idea, Haman. Go get Mordecai and do that. Everything you said, don't leave anything out. Do that for him. And Haman falls. He sulks. He's gloomy. And his whole family at the end of that cursed day in his life says, ooh, this isn't looking good. And by the way, aren't you going back to dinner? And the whole plot turns when Esther says, there's someone after me and my people. Who? Haman. Oh, by the way, the gallows that he has erected outside of his house, who ended up on those gallows? Haman and his sons. Who provided that victory? Not Esther. The Lord did. The pages of Scripture are filled with fasting and prayer. So we say, well, but that that was all Old Testament. I mean, you included Jesus in the New Testament. But in Acts chapter 13, and I'm not going to re-preach the message that Christian McNeely did, but the early church fasted together. And here's the thing. Everyone knew about this fast in the church. This wasn't a secret fast. So we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning. You know, what happens if someone finds out that you're fasting? Well, the church fasted, verse uh, 2 of Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is Put it on the timeline. Jesus fasted 40 days, his ministry, three years, life, death, burial, resurrection. He promises the Spirit. This is uh, celebrated the day of Pentecost, the day the Spirit came and dwelled the believers. And it was after that that the church is fasting. In the New Testament age, the Spirit has come and the church is fasting and they all know about it. They are all called together by the leadership saying, we don't know what we should do. We sense as we're worshiping, God is doing something and we aren't sure what it is. Doesn't that sound different than people who jump on Facebook and YouTube and they make predictions that don't come true? This is the apostle saying, we're not sure what to do, so join with us. We're not better than you. We have a different position than you, but we're in this family together and we need to seek the Lord's face more than a meal. So let's fast and let's pray. And they did. And the Spirit says, here's what you're going to do. You separate the the best out of this church, and you send them on mission. What happened as a result of that? Look around this morning. Look at what you're holding in your hand. Out of that comes the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Becomes church planting that goes global, that goes out beyond boundaries into nations. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're holding all of the letters from the Apostle Paul that were all written on or because of those journeys and churches planted in Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth and all of the other places in Galatia, Romans. Why? 
because they fasted and prayed and the Holy Spirit said, take your best and launch them out and see what I do with them. And they were obedient. What are some common reasons for fasting? Well, if you do a quick search on the internet for fasting, you're gonna find a lot of reasons why people fast. Some people fast for health or for medical reasons. So there's, there's benefits to the body for that, but not to the soul. I lost weight. How'd you do that? I didn't eat for seven days. Ooh, did you talk to your doctor about that? All right, fasting for political reasons. Think about Gandhi, those pictures that we see of him, that he would fast and everybody knew he was fasting. Somebody goes on a hunger strike. We won't eat until... That even happened in Paul's day. There were those who vowed we won't eat until he's dead. I wonder if they kept that or if they gave in at some point. Like, well, you know, we we gave it the college try. I'm pretty hungry. He's gone now. And then there's fasting for religious reasons, religious purposes. But we think about it. In Judaism, they fast. Muslims fast. Christians fast. Pagans fast. So as we talk about fasting, are we kind of just mixed into all that? And the point is fasting? No. No, it's not just about did you fast. Hindu fasting, and if we're honest, much of the fasting that is common in the time of Lent is done so that people know it's done, people see that I'm doing this, you see, and people share it on social media. Here's what I'm going without. Here's what I'm doing. Here's the picture. I got the ashes. Everybody notice I'm doing something. Now, I went without this, and I chose to go without that, and I'm not doing this. Doesn't God think I'm great now? Doesn't he owe me something? So it's like making a deal with God. Is that what biblical fasting is? No. So is fasting for Christians? Like that's the question we have to come down to and I believe the answer is a resounding yes. Based on this text and a few others in the New Testament, Epiphanius, if anybody's looking for a name for your, your next son, there's one for you. The Bishop of Salamis, he was born in AD 315. This is what he said, who does not know? All right, this is AD 315. Who does not know that the fast of the fourth and sixth days of the week are observed by the Christians throughout the world? It was very common for the early church to fast two days a week, and they switched from the fasting day that the Pharisees fasted on because they didn't want to be identified, but they were still connected because Jesus was a Jew. He came from a descendant of Israel. He is descended from Abraham, and so we're not disconnected from them, but we are the fulfillment of what they were waiting on. That's very important to remember. Christian fasting, beloved, is not demanding God, demanding upon God. No, it's drawing near to God. Fasting is not magic. If I fast, then the Lord is bound to answer my request. No. 2 Samuel 12, 16, David was fasting. His child was sick. His child died. It's not magic. And there are many people that enter into Christian things, religious 
things, elements, activities, and then in some way, shape, or form, God doesn't perform in the way that they believe he should perform, and they say, that's it, I tried it, I'm out of here. Who actually is the God that you put in that box? That's what you have to work on. Who is the God that is your servant? Do this. I did this. Now you owe me. Does that sound like a God who is worthy of worship? Does that sound like a God who spoke and the sun came out of his mouth and he ordered all of creation? Is that the God that we worship? Do you think that he comes to me asking for advice or you? No. I'm not worthy of worship. God is. Fasting is learning to say no to self in order to say yes to God. It's a bold step of faith. Fasting reveals areas where perhaps good things that are gifts from God have taken over and we are more controlled by the gifts than we are by the giver. Fasting is helpful to promote personal and spiritual discipline. So we can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. He says, I, I pummel my body. I beat my body. Like, this isn't like an athletic term. This is training. This is exhaustion. You look at some of the routines of professional athletes, it's it's unbelievable what they do to get their body in top shape. And Paul is using that kind of analogy. He, why would you do this, Paul, spiritually? Why are you doing this? Because he has a concern about himself that after I have told everybody else what is right and I've preached the gospel and this is the way, lest I myself, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I have a concern about me, he's saying. Beloved, if Paul had a concern about himself, where in the world does that put you and me? I think I need to fall in line with him. Now go with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine. In Matthew chapter nine, and just so you know, the introduction is very filled out in this sermon, okay? Because once we understand the setting, then we get to Jesus' teaching and it just fits, like one, two, three. It just fits in this way. Jesus was asked a question about fasting. And these are the disciples of John the Baptist. They came to him, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. That was typical. But your disciples do not fast. They noticed this. You're not ever fasting. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Okay, who was Israel waiting on? Jesus. Is it a good, is it a good idea to choose a wedding day to say, you know, today I'm fasting? No. That's a day of celebration. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. The days, now listen to what Jesus says, the days will come when the bridegroom, when Jesus is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, there's no break in thought when he moves into this 
explanation. It's continued. Verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither, here's another analogy, is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. This is all together and what Jesus is saying What he's explaining is why are your disciples not fasting? Because something new is here. It's what you've been waiting on. It's the bridegroom. Why would we mourn now? And so some would say, well, then Jesus was saying they'll fast between the burial in the tomb and resurrection morning. Well, then why do we find the disciples fasting in Acts 13? I'm sure they lost their appetites that that evening when they laid their, the body of Jesus in the tomb. I'm sure they weren't too concerned about eating. And remember when Jesus met them on Resurrection Sunday, he said, do you have any food here? You got some fish? Every morning, the first meal is called break fast. Isn't that interesting? Fasting, going without food. To break a fast is to eat. And Jesus says, let me have some food. And he ate with them. And we looked at that a while ago. So then why fast? Beloved, when our hearts are filled with sorrow, grief, and heartache, the appetite is one of the first things to fall away. Am I right about this? When you're at the bedside of a loved one, and you're walking through those most difficult times, if you've been in a situation and someone has walked away from you in a relationship, the first thought on your mind is not, I need to go get something to eat. If you're burdened for children who may be walking away from Christ or they're living a life, it just doesn't make you hungry for food. There's something wrong, and you have to eat to stay alive. And there comes a point when we eat together and and we celebrate the life and the legacy of someone and we enjoy memories and laughter. Why do we fast? Spiritual fasting is an expression of sorrow over sin and a longing for something and someone more desirable than food. So Jesus expected his disciples to give when you give. He expected his disciples to pray. He said in Matthew 6, when you pray. And he expected his disciples to fast when you fast. It's implied. So in obedience and out of love and devotion, disciples follow in the footsteps of Jesus. They obey. Why would we fast? When we see what's going on in the world that we live in, We see that God's name is not honored as it should be. We pray and we can fast to the end that his name is honored. When we see that God's kingdom has come, but we wait and we long for Jesus to return to fully establish his kingdom, that can be a reason why we fast and we say, even come, Lord Jesus, come. We wait in expectation for God's will to be done. So when Jesus is talking about you have new wine, you can't put that in old wineskins. They're used up, they'll burst. You have to put 
new wine in a new wineskin, and they will age together. There's something new happening in this age. That's what he's saying is, I'm here, and we are celebrating. The bridegroom has come already. The kingdom has come, and not yet. Still coming. We're waiting for him to come again. So the church has an expectation of, is my agenda the Lord's agenda? Then align my agenda to yours, God, and even come Lord Jesus. F.F. Bruce says it this way. He says, there are indications that the New Testament Christians were especially sensitive to the Spirit's communications during fasting. So do you think that we need to be less sensitive than the early church was to the Spirit's leading in our lives? Oh, we long for God's will to be done. So with that introduction and context, now let's hear the three lessons from Jesus. He gives us three lessons. These are straightforward. He starts off with the warning. All right, if we're gonna grow, then he's gonna guide us in fasting. Jesus cares about our praying. He cares about our giving. He cares about our fasting. He doesn't just care that we, there, I did it, okay? Here's my offering already. I served in the nursery. Get off my back, you know? Fine, I did it. Yeah, yeah, that's good that you did what you did, that you pray, that you fast, but why? Why are you doing what you do? What's our motivation? So the first off, the lesson is this. There's a warning that God rejects man-centered fasting. Jesus is very clear on this. Anything that is done for our glory, my glory, is unacceptable. It's too small. It's too finite. It's not worthy of glory. So there's a warning that Jesus gives, and he's just saying outright, point blank, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The end. God rejects man-centered fasting. So he says this, do not be gloomy. Do not be gloomy, okay? Another word there, somber, downcast. There's no lasting value for the person who's fasting. Hey, what's going on? You having a bad day? No, I'm fasting today. I didn't eat breakfast. Dude, it's 8.30. I know. I've still got like four hours to go to lunch. All right, I'll see you later. That's a, huh. Do I look okay? No, man, you've never looked okay. Right, today is just not much different, but I, I, I gotta go. These individuals would sulk. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Literally, the Pharisees, they were, they were motivated by appearances. They would say it this way, if nobody knows I'm fasting, well, what's the point? Like if I went through the whole day and nobody said, are you fasting today? Like, what was the point of that? I'm gonna take another selfie. You know, I'm looking awful. I mean, and then they would disfigure their faces. They want to look like they're starving. You know, get out the makeup, put the dark lines underneath, just everything whitened up, you know. Like, oh, I'm famished. I've gone an hour without eating. It's just awful. 
Now, in this instance, Jesus calls them hypocrites, but then you have to think about this. Are they really being hypocritical here? Because they're actually pretty gloomy. They're actually portraying what they're doing. You're not eating, and so I just want everybody to know. So they would amp it up. They would play act. They would do everything they could to get people like, whoa, they're fasting today. Yeah, oh, man. Anybody got a wheelchair I could use? You know, whatever they could do. But Jesus is saying, do not be gloomy. Don't be like them. Amping up everything to show out. I'm sure we don't know anybody like this, right? Kids are funny when they do this, right? And they amp it. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm starving. It's time to go to bed. Can I have a drink of water? I'm going to die. You just had seven drinks of water, and now we're going to have to get you up in the middle of the night, or we're going to have other troubles. Oh, I'm so thirsty. All right, you little Pharisee. Right? <laughs> what? What did you say? I'm telling mom. That sounds like a bad word. Do not be gloomy. And Jesus says, do not seek glory from others when fasting. There's no lasting reward here. What's their true motivation under all of this? <laughs> Applause of the crowd. Oh, man, they've gone for four meals or two days. Oh, I could never do that. So let's ask ourselves the question, what do you do? What do I do that we wouldn't do if anybody else didn't notice? If nobody noticed that you, whatever, fill in the blank, would you keep doing it? Around your house, at your job, in the life of the church family, if nobody ever said, thank you, or you do that? I didn't know you did that. Would you keep doing it? And be like, what's the point of this? Where's my plaque already? You know, I straightened the rug. I want a plaque, you know? Well, there's your reward. Ooh, great job straightening the rug. Actually, it's not straight. Their true motivation. This is what motivated Paul in Philippians chapter 3, that he began to really see how he lived before he met Jesus and how things changed. And all the things that he valued before Christ and how different he was after Christ. And he said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, so this is an accounting term for, for you uh, technical number-driven nerds, people, right? Okay, whatever gain, there's your gain column I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's gain. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's who he was before he met Jesus. I fast, I pray, I'm this tribe, I'm that person, I'm all these things. And now he says that is a dunghill. That is a pile of the unmentionable pile. In order that I may gain Christ, that's a gain. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How are you going to know that, Paul? 
and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you hear what motivated him in life? Grace, faith, love, the gospel, Christ. Not what other people had to say about him. That's what he used to live for. So Jesus is saying, don't do this for the temporary applause. Don't do it for a temporary reward. They do everything for the gaze of people. That's a temporary reward. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, you can take this to the bank. They have received their reward. That's it. It's paid in full is the term. So Jesus is teaching that when we do what we do for the applause, for the praise of men, that is the full payment of your reward. That's it. The prideful motive is a passing reward. There's a better way. And Jesus then moves into instruction. Okay, there's a warning. Now he provides in verse 17 the instruction that we need, that God receives God-centered fasting. God-centered fasting. This is all abounding in grace. That in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. There's going to be something different here. God receives God-centered fasting. Jesus is saying this, be normal in how you get ready for the day. If you're fasting, don't amplify that you're going to be abstaining from meals or, or even a meal. Just go about your day in a normal way. Jesus says, when you fast, so here again, he's implying, he expects that his disciples will long for his return in such a way that they will be motivated by this, that they will fast, they will deny self to advance his name, his glory, his kingdom, and his will. And think about our lives our personal lives, our own personal struggles that we have, our families, maybe parents, siblings, children, and where they are in relationship to God. Our young children, will they grow up to know, love, and follow Jesus? What kind of example are we setting for them? Are we showing to them the eternal value of worshiping and serving the Lord and his church? Are we putting before them temporary things? Get here, do this, go there, do that. That it's drown out the glory of God. We think about our church. We think about our community. This will lead us to fast. Is God glorified? Is his name hallowed in this church? Is his name hallowed in our community? Is it honored in our community? We think about, is his will done in, our, in this church, our church, his church? Is his will done in our community? Does anyone care if his kingdom actually comes or not? If not the people of God, then who will? If we don't care, do you think the people who don't worship God will care? Or will it catch them by complete surprise because no one ever acted like it was really coming? Skipping a meal or two will put that as front burner. Come, Lord Jesus. You watch the news, you get tired of watching the news. Can you sit there and complain and tweet and post some more? Or maybe skip a meal and pray. 
Maybe learn from those in the Old Testament and New Testament is what we need to do. And we think about our nation and we think about our world. Wow. Just day by day, the news just continues to unfold in mayhem and wars and violence. So what are we gonna do about it? Fast. Pray. Don't operate like everyone else. Complain and complain and complain. What good does that do? Is that countercultural? No. That's right in line with culture. That's just flowing down river like everybody else. God's children, disciples of Christ, we have been taught a better way. Seek his kingdom first. Groom yourself. Jesus says, just get ready. Anoint your head, wash your face. Whatever you normally put on your hair, put it on your hair. Whatever you normally put on your face, put it on your face. Under your arms, deodorant, go for it. Double up, all right? It's gonna be a hot day. Go ahead, just get, groom yourself. You usually wear perfume or cologne? Go ahead. Go about your day in a normal way. Get ready. But then Jesus says, be different in how you invest the extra moments of the day. Here's where we gain something back. If we're gonna skip a meal, then do something. Don't just put your nose to the grindstone. This can be easy for me to do. And as if, I, if I'm missing a meal, is I just, I just work through that. Well, that wasn't the point of fasting. The point of fasting is I'm, I'm skipping a meal for something greater. And it's not just to do more work. It's to seek God. Invest that time. As believers, we can feast and we can fast to the glory of God. Fasting is a private way to say no. Skip a meal or two. If you have health conditions, you need to talk to your doctor about this. Okay? If fasting is not possible for you to do, God knows your heart. It isn't about you fast, great Christian. You don't fast. You're not a great Christian. That's not it at all. It's the heart. God knows the heart. So you have to be wise. I have to be wise in this. We say no so that we can say yes. Spend the time with God. Whatever time we would have spent eating, get alone with God. What, what would we have spent on that meal? Find somebody in need, meet a need to give that, give that to them. Do something. Invest the time that is gained, the money that is saved. Do something with it in a way that honors and glorifies God. And we do so, do it in the name of Jesus. Give it in the name of Jesus. Then Jesus gives to us a promise. God rewards righteous fasting. Fasting that is right. And, and, and who's the judge of this? The Lord is. Okay, so when we gather in small groups and we talk about fasting and we get nervous if we don't have the right answer and maybe I don't do it. You're not impressing anybody. Don't try to impress anybody. The Lord knows and we're all growing in this together. Just be honest. God rewards righteous fasting. So let's seek the face of our heavenly father, not the gaze of others. That's what Jesus is telling us. We can have others as our spectators. That's self-centered. I can even have myself as the spectator. That's even more self-centered. The conversations that are going on in my own head and heart of 
you know, and, and all of those things that can go through. I'm fasting so I can, I can have this. I can feel this way. I can get that. I can be this way. And I fill in the blank. It can still be ultra self-centered. So let's not fast for what other people say or what we even say about ourselves. We, let's fast and seek the Lord, that he is the one who is the spectator. This is the Christian's goal, personal fasting in seeking the Father who is in heaven, personal fasting and corporate fasting that we come together at times and we miss a meal for the glory of God. I want you to go with me in the Old Testament and I'm gonna close with an illustration. When Ezra, doing a great work for God, in the Old Testament, you find the book of Ezra in chapter eight. It doesn't matter if somebody finds out that you're fasting, okay? That has to be said. For corporate fasting, I've had some, somebody say that in the past. You can't, you can't call the church to fast because then people know about it. It's not about if people find out, it's if you're fasting for people to find out. You see the difference? Well, people found out I'm fasting. Anna was fasting in the temple, waiting on Messiah to come. And they came and they dedicated Jesus at the temple and she's like, whoa! And Luke records, this woman fasted for all of these years. Oh, you just messed up her reward. No, you didn't, because she wasn't fasting so that she could be written in Luke, I fasted. She fasted for a coming Messiah. That was her reward. God, not Luke, noting it for us. Same thing he would do in Acts 13 of the church fasting. Fasting and prayer for protection. Ezra is about to make a journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, and he has a massive amount of silver, gold, and bronze, and he has no armored escort. There's no Humvees. There's nothing going with him except women, children, men, probably some animals, and no army. And he has already told the, Lord, the, the king, our God is the God over all nations and he will protect us. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Here's why. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. They set out on their trip and in verse 31, we see them arrive. We departed from the river of on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was with us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem and there we remained three days. What do you think they did in those three days? The Lord is good. His love endures forever. We made it and we had no army and we went through those hills and all those dangerous points with massive amounts of silver and gold and the best bronze and children and no army and, and we're here. Thank you, God. You protected us. Jesus says, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. 
Ezra proclaimed that fast and he was seeking God and he said, come on people, let's seek the Lord. Let's seek his heart. And Jesus is saying, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. So let's seek him together and let's seek him individually and let's seek him as families. Your father, he sees in secret. D.L. Moody said it this way. If you say I will fast when God lays it on me, you never will. You are too cold and indifferent. Take the yoke upon you. If we say, I'll seek the kingdom of God when I, when I feel, it'll never happen. Well, I'm gonna diet and exercise when I feel like diet and exercise. Really? Doctor, when I feel like doing that, I'm gonna get around to that. What is the doctor gonna look at you? You're never gonna do it. You gotta change now. You've got to do some things different now. You've got to make a plan now. Get into accountability now of those you can go through life with and walk together in life with. But Jesus is saying, your father, he sees your heart. He sees what's going on. He knows you. He loves you. That's not in question. So seek the father's heart. Seek his face. What are you longing for that only God can provide, beloved? What needs a no in your life to say yes to something greater, to something better? Can you take Jesus' words to heart that he will reward you? This is where we become so satisfied in God that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, John Piper says. That's such a good, such a good quote. So what did Jesus give to his disciples? What did he teach us? If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've turned from your sin and you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, then you love Jesus because he loved you. He's changed your life and he's changing your life. Jesus gives a warning. Man-centered fasting, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna cut it. God-centered fasting, now that, there's the instruction. The Lord receives that and here's a promise. You seek him and he will reward you. Seek him. Don't seek him with conditions. Now, if you do, and if you do the other, and if you don't do that, then I, no, 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 we're not bartering here. We're talking to God, the creator. So can I ask us some questions for application? What's your current experience with fasting? What's your current experience? Where are you at right now? When, when you hear, the, this is gonna be a message that you're need, it's gonna need to kind of soak in you need to think through this, maybe listen to it later on this week, get it on the podcast, and just digest it. Read this text, process it. And another question is this, how might this area of your discipleship grow? And when you think about, if I learn to say no to some good things, we're not even talking about bad things. If I learn to say no to some good things, some enjoyable things, then what, how might this infect every other area of my life and affect how I pray and how I give and how I serve and how I worship. If I start to prioritize God and his kingdom and his name and his glory and his honor and his will above mine, how might this affect me in every other area of my life, my marriage, as a father, as a pastor, as a neighbor? This is gonna press out into so many areas when I'm not doing it for all of those people to see. I'm seeking the Father's heart. Let's join together. And let's do that. Let's seek him. For if we have him and not a next meal, we have everything. If we have him and we lose our job or 
economy goes down, or we lose a house, or we go through whatever it may be, but we have the Lord, what have we lost? We have everything. And that's what this is, Jesus is saying. You have me. Seek your Father in heaven. He knows you, he loves you, and he's waiting for you. Let's stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the cross, and thank you for your word and the gospel, and thank you for your church, and thank you for the invitation that we have, not on our own, to come to you, but we can come to you by faith and through grace and approach the throne because, Jesus, you made a way. You made a way for sinners. So, Father, I pray that we would hear this invitation, that we would take the warning from Jesus seriously about every aspect of our lives, not to do anything for self-advancement and self-glory, that, Lord, we would hear your instruction and we would take it to heart and we say, oh, Spirit, teach us this truth. Teach us and may we apply this in our lives. And then we just take this promise to bank that, Father in heaven, you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so we seek you with all of our hearts. And then we take that great promise that you give in Isaiah chapter 58. And you give a fast that looses the bonds of wickedness, that undoes the straps of the yoke, that lets those who are oppressed grow free and break every yoke, break every chain. And there are some of us who are under the sound of this message today that we're, they're just areas in our life that we just can't get through. We cannot break through, whether it be depression or whether it be struggles with self-worth or anxiety, or maybe it's dealing with an addiction. And maybe this is the key as a follower of Christ. We still have struggles, or maybe it's even an addiction to pornography and lust and thoughts in that way. You know all of the situations, God, and maybe this is your answer and your invitation saying, come, seek me. Seek me more than your next meal. Seek me more than the next day of meals. Prioritize me. Seek my heart and just know I have provided down through history and I will provide for you and I will bless you and I will give you the freedom that you can't get on your own. That is the heart of this message. So teach us, Lord, to say no to self so that we may say yes to you in every good way. For Jesus' sake and for his glory alone, we pray. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.